Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Revolution Recap. It was a long night for the Revs and their fans as a delayed start and not one but two weather delays kept everyone up until 2.20 in the morning. It was well worth it, though, as New England takes three points on the road and a 2-1 win over the Rapids. Teal Bunbury and Juan Fernando Caicedo found the net for New England, while late-game heroics by Matt Turner preserved the three points for the Revs, who remain unbeaten in MLS play in the post-Friedel era. The Revs are now tied with Toronto FC in points for sixth place in the standings. Uh, I'm Greg Johnstone. Joining me after a long break away from each other, reunited, and it feels so good. Sean Donahue is joining me. Sean, how's it going? I hope you've had your coffee. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was a long night for us, too, and I, I'm, I'm relying on coffee to, to get through the podcast this morning. Um, but like you said, it was a very exciting game for those that did stay up. And one of the more exciting games of the season, it was just a shame there was three and a half hours of delays to kind of kind of curb the excitement a bit during this one. Yeah, and if there's ever a time for a uh, three and a half hour delayed game, I guess it you want it uh, for a midweek match, especially you want it to be on the Fourth of July when some of us have uh, the following day off. Uh, thoughts and prayers to you, those of you that are working on this Friday, July fifth. Uh, but yeah, Sean, uh, we we slugged it out. We had some uh, late night FIFA going uh, to pass the time. We we did not subject ourselves to the Michael Holly podcast that so many Rose fans on Twitter uh, were complaining about. But uh, we all made it through, and as I say. Well worth it. Kind of shaky at the end there. But, uh, Sean, what, what were your takeaways from this 2-1 win? Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to steal your takeaway, but my takeaway is that for all the talk about the the Revolution having three starting goalkeepers on this roster, um, I think that's clearly not true. They have one starting goalkeeper, and it's Matt Turner. He was phenomenal last night. Uh, he made some massive saves in that game, and I couldn't help but think while watching the game that you know if it was if it was Cody Cropper or Brad Knight, neither of those guys um, would have had a, as good of a night or as or are as capable of having as good of a night. Um, and so there was you know some talk on Twitter even about how Brad Friedel had benched Matt Turner to start the season and how you know maybe dumb that was. Um, I kind of get it with the poor preseason he had, but if you look at you know Matt Turner's play, I think there's no doubt at this point that he is capable of, or he has the capabilities of being by far the best goalkeeper on this roster and is capable of doing things that the you know Brad Knight and Cody Cropper uh, may not be. Uh, Brad Knight, with his experience, may be the most consistent goalkeeper on on his roster on this roster, but the one goalkeeper that's capable of being a, an above average goalkeeper in MLS. Uh, is clearly Matt Turner, and he showed it last night. Um, some of the point-blank saves he made on guys like Kai Kamara and just you know diving saves to shots that were going to the upper corner. Uh, just a fantastic performance from from Matt Turner. Um, and I think the, the starting spot now is absolutely his to lose going through the rest of the season, and the Revolution need to ride him because I don't think you know Cody Cropper or Brad Knighton are the long-term solution to this team. Um, it's absolutely going to be Matt Turner going forward with performances like this. And this is what we came to expect from Matt Turner from – some of what we saw from him last year when he earned that that starting role, um, and this is why he needs to be playing every single day for the New England Revolution going forward. Yeah, and I agree with everything you said. I mean, you, you, no argument coming from me. Uh, I, I thought he had a phenomenal game last night, probably his best game of the 2019 season. Um, I, I think when you're comparing the three goalkeepers, with all due respect to Brad Knighton and Cody Cropper, I, I think they're fine goalkeepers. But Matt Turner's anticipation and reflexes just seem to be a step above them. And yesterday, those reflexes were very much needed um, right before the Colorado Rapids goal, which 
Matt Turner did not really have a chance on it. I don't think you can blame a whole lot of uh, the the blame towards him. We'll get to who's to blame on that one a little bit later. But yes, we uh, in the seventy second <laughs> second minute there, um, that that stop on Kai Kamara header uh, where he's able to push it over the bar. That was an amazing save. Um, the, obviously the one that everyone's going to see this morning when they're waking up is the diving save in the 89th minute. Uh, I also thought that in the right before uh, uh, that diving save, um, I, I think it was Nicholson on the Rapids uh, was kind of coming into the box, tried going five hole and, and Matt Turner had a, had a nice little kick save uh, to kind of push it out for a corner. So he had a few really nice saves uh, late in the game there to hold the lead for the revs. And if Cody Cropper or Brad Knight are in goal, I don't think that those, all three of those are made. I, I think they might walk away from that game with a 2-2 draw or a loss. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think Matt Turner is your number one keeper going forward. I think Matt Lapper or Mike Lapper coming in and saying Matt Turner is my guy after the Friedel firing, I, I think that might have changed a lot of the culture shift with the Revs. And I, yes. I, I think this team kind of has gotten behind him a little bit also. And Bruce Arena has kind of carried that over from the Lapper era where he seems to have confidence in Matt Turner. I know Knighton has gotten some starts here and there, but I think a lot of that is due to the Turner suspension. So, um, yeah, I, I think Matt Turner is the guy going forward, and I, I think that's the correct choice going forward, I think, as a pro-Matt Turner podcast. I think we're, we're very happy this morning, uh, all things considered. And I, I, I cannot re- reiterate enough that uh, I think the Revs take to three points instead of one because of Matt Turner last night. Yeah, and I think that's a key point that you made, too, about Mike Lapper and confidence because, we, you know, we've talked before about two positions where confidence matters a lot, and, and one's striker and one's goalkeeper. I think those are probably the two the two biggest positions where confidence is just absolutely huge. Um, and to have Mike Lapper put that faith in Matt Turner, and I think to have Bruce Arena put that faith in, in Matt Turner, even if he hasn't necessarily said it publicly, I can't remember whether or not he has. Um, but, you know, it, it's just huge for a guy, especially a, who's still kind of a young goalkeeper, Matt Turner, to have that confidence and to have that backing of his of his coach, um, where for a while it seemed like he did have that from, from Brad Friedel and that kind of disappeared towards the end of last season and going into this year. Um, and the only other point I wanted to make in this one is there was an interesting stat from before the game from uh, StatZone that Revolution goalkeepers had a combined 48.8% save percentage in road games this season, which was the worst in MLS, and that no team since 2010 had finished the season with an away save percentage below 50%. Um, so, it, again, that goes to the, you know, I don't know the breakdown between uh, Knight and Turner um, and Cropper on that stat, but that really goes to the fact that the Revolution do not have three starting goalkeepers on their roster. They have, you know, I think Matt Turner is the only one on the roster that really should be um, or really can be an above average MLS starter. And the other two are, you know, solid backups. But um, I, I think you're you're fooling yourself if you think the Revolution have three goalkeepers that would be, you know, starters on, on most teams in the league. They have um, one that's potentially could be a starter on most teams in the league if he's playing at the level that he played at last night. Yeah, and I just want to go back to your point about confidence, too. I think we saw Matt Turner kind of, you know, be a little sluggish towards the end of 2018. You could kind of see confidence was kind of drifting for him a little bit. I, I think having that confidence back, we're going to see Matt Turner in the first the, the first half of 2018, Matt Turner, um, that we all came to love so much. Uh, I, I think it's good signs going forward. And really, there's confidence across the board with this team. But uh, I think Matt Turner kind of being reinstalled as the guy uh, is a really, really positive thing. Um, getting to your point about, um, you know, Matt Turner being the only above average keeper on this team, I, I did pull up the expected goals stat. Uh, stay with me. I know it's a little complicated for those of you that are not familiar, but the goal different, the, the differential between goals allowed and expected goals allowed. So, so negatives are better. Matt Turner in 2019 is at minus uh, 0.92. So he has prevented more expected goals. 
Yeah, I can't explain this, but you know what I mean. It's he a good stat. he has he has saved more. Average. Yeah, exactly. Well, he's he's made he's stopped more goals than he was expected to let pass him, <laughs> essentially. Yes. Thank you very much for saving me there, Sean. I think I've tried to explain this stat five times and I've never been able to successfully do it. But when you compare it to the other goalkeepers on the team, Brad Knighton is at plus one point three eight. Cody Cropper is at plus. Uh, 1.95 and those are both kind of towards the uh, bottom of the uh, uh, MLS table for for guys that have played more than 500 minutes Uh, and so I I think for Cropper you can certainly point to he was in goal for a lot of those um, final Brad Friedel games where uh, goals were kind of pouring in against the revolution uh, and and there was kind of a bit of a tough stretch there so maybe that that one point uh, 9.5 is, is a little high, but Cody Cropper also had the full season in 2017 and he, he ended with a plus number. So um, yeah, I, I, I think it was one of the numbers... worst in MLS that year too, and both in save Correct. percentage I, and in the expected goals versus goals allowed. I don't have the number in front of me, but he was towards the bottom there too. So, so I, I think if you're looking at the, this measurement, Matt Turner is the clear uh, favorite and, and uh, even uh, objectively, I, I, I think that Knighton and Cropper are a little bit better than those numbers, but I, I, I think it kind of supports the theory that we have that Matt Turner is the best of the three goalkeepers going, going forward. So, um, moving on to another, uh, I'll say controversial player on, uh, Rev's Twitter and, and Rev's Reddit is, uh, Teal Bunbury. And, you know, Sean, I think six or eight weeks ago, the last time we were talking, we were thinking about, or, or I threw out the, the, thought of um, sending Teal Bunbury to Birmingham or USL and letting him score a goal or two and get his confidence back because once he scores once, he is going to get going. And we didn't need to send him to USL. He is on fire right now. Scored again last night in the eighth minute with a very, very nice uh, – <laughs> he con- controlled a uh, Edgar Castillo cross very nicely, had a nice touch in the box and a nice finish past Tim Howard. Third MLS goal on the season for Teal Bunbury, his third in his last four games. Uh, it's also his fifth goal across all competitions, if you want to include the U.S. Open Cup. So he has five goals in his last six games. Um, and if you're considering uh, all competitions, Teal Bunbury leads the team in goals now. Um, Carly Seal and Juan Fernando Caicedo, who also scored, have four goals um, in, in all competitions last night, I guess an MLS competition. Teal Bunbury is still one off the pace from those two. But um, I, I think this guy's on fire. I think you have to give him 90 minutes right now. Uh, he, he looks like the guy that we talk about, Matt Turner, from the start of 2018. Uh, Teal Bunbury also has a ton of confidence right now. Looks like the guy that you you want Teal Bunbury to be. He he looks like he's in form of, of his first half of 2018. Um, I mean, I, I cannot say uh, how uh, happy personally I am that a guy that was struggling so hard and uh, was taking a lot of flack from Rose fans, us included, uh, has kind of turned a corner and is really hitting his stride right now. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm really happy for Teal Bunbury. And uh, I, I think going forward, at least in the short term, you got to play him somewhere near the top and you got to feed him the ball. Uh, so what do you think on uh, Teal Bunbury's performance last night? Yeah, I think we've, we've always known he's a streaky, streaky player. And before June, he had gone 10 months without a goal. Um, which is not great for a guy that at, at times was playing as the Revolution's lone striker up top, um, and you know now is seeing more time on the wings and, and elsewhere. But uh, Bunbury was great last night, and he's been great really since June. Um, he's 
you know, got three goals in, in four MLS games, and then he's you know got a couple open cup goals as well, some some great goals. And these aren't you know easy goals either; these are great finishes. Um, where the the chances he was missing you know, earlier in the season, he had some sitters that he missed. Um, so he's he's a very frustrating guy because when he's on, he looks fantastic, and when he's off, he looks absolutely terrible. Um, the the number of chances that he had early in the season that went out for for throw-ins, um, the, the sitters that he had that he missed. Um, we're, we're very frustrating. And I think he's a guy that, like you were saying, when he's hot, you have to ride him. You have to keep playing him. When his confidence is good, he's, he's really good. But, you know, there's nothing to say he doesn't have a, another bad couple games and then goes on another 10, 10 months without scoring. Um, so, yeah, I think the Revs have to keep playing him right now because he's hot. Um, but, again, you go back and look at his career. He's, he's 29 years old. He came into the league in 2010. Um, he's had one season in which he hit double-digit goals, and that was last year. He's had, you know, going back over over the years, he's he had 11 goals last year. He had seven goals the year before, two before that, four before that, four before that, zero in 2013. I think he might have had some injuries that year. Um, five way back in 2012 and then his his previous career high prior to 11 last year was was nine in, in 2011 um so he, he's always been very streaky um i don't think he's a guy that you can rely on to ever get you 15 goals in a season um uh, i do think the revolution need a player that they can rely on for that but yeah, yeah right now he's he's playing really well and you have to ride that confidence and, and and keep playing him but um there's nothing to say that you know a couple games down the road he might go on a cold streak again and go 10 months without scoring that's just you know what he's done throughout his career and at, at 29 years old i'm not sure that that's going to change yeah, he, the inconsistency is, is, drives people up a wall. But um, as I say, I don't know, hot streak right now. I, I know a lot of people are not a huge feel, uh, fan of Teal Bunbury, but um, considering he adds a lot to the Revs, I feel, and just going based off of his uh, stats yesterday, he was 20 for 24 passing, so 83% pass completion, which is pretty good for a forward. He also had three ball recoveries, uh, two of which were in the uh, defensive third of the game. So he added a little bit to uh, the possession game. He adds a little bit to the defensive side of the game when you're bunkering down uh so uh, just really really positive marks for me from from teal bunbury a guy that we have uh not been very kind to this season um who knows how long the the hot streak will last but uh hopefully it goes on for a little while now yeah the one thing you have to say about teal bunbury is he's a guy that you know when he's not scoring he's still contributing elsewhere he always works really hard he's you know tracks back he covers he provides a lot of effort on the defensive end you know if you look at a guy like like juan casado who's you know also you know, pretty hot right now. Um, he's a guy where if he goes on a cold streak, he's really not offering you much other than, you know, he, what he does is he scores and he's, you know, at times he's in a hold up play. But, you know, if he's not scoring, he shouldn't be on the field. If Till Bunbury is not scoring, you can kind of justify more having him on the field because he does a lot of other things well. He's not just a pure striker that's out there to poach goals. Yeah, and I, I just want to give a quick shout out to uh, Revs Reddit, who <laughs> there was a meme last week. I don't know if you saw it, Sean, but it was uh, basically, it was like, uh, the Coke a bottle of Coke was uh, Revs Reddit, and the Mentos is someone tweeting. Teal Bunbury is actually very good. Uh, <laughs> it always seems to be uh, an eruption. There were still arguments going on last night uh, over whether or not Teal Bunbury is a good soccer player. Uh, and I, I think there is, um, you know, I, I think it basically depends on: Do you think of Teal Bunbury when he's struggling, or do you think of Teal Bunbury when he's on? And it's kind of a selective memory between the two groups. But really, at the end of the day, there's a really nice medium where Teal Bunbury is a really solid all-around player who, at time, is going to pour in goals and really be the difference maker uh, for for two or three month stretch at a time. So, uh, but let's let's switch over to the other striker yesterday who also scored his fourth goal in a Revs uniform. The uh, over under five line. 
which I set at the beginning of the season is looking just as laughable as you and Seth said it was. Uh, but Juan Fernando Caicedo adding his fourth goal yesterday, a really nice header off of a Carly Skeel, uh free kick. Um, Sean, give me your assessment of Juan Fernando Caicedo. And like Teal, do, do you think this pairing of Teal Bunbury and Juan Fernando Caicedo is here to stay for the short term? Yeah, I mean, that was a really nice uh, header by by Juan Fernando Caicedo. That's what you like to see from him. Um, I thought he worked well up top. I thought Agudelo had a good game be- behind him. I thought you know Bunbury had a good game. All, all of them were playing really well in this one. Um, to be honest, going into the game, I, I wasn't very sure about uh, Bruce Arena playing all three of those guys and also leaving Pania and, and Fagundes on the bench, but it worked out really well. Um, I think you know I, I'm still not 100% sold that Caicedo is the, the long-term answer to the revolution, but he's another guy that's got confidence right now. He's a guy that's proven he's capable of putting the ball in the back of the net. Um, you know, he showed last last week he showed he had a good ability to have some hold up play and help set up goals that way. Um, but I, I thought overall he had a good game and you know he's earned more minutes too. And I think um, as long as these guys are hot, you got to play both Caicedo and, and Teal Bunbury. Um, you know, Caicedo early on in the game didn't have many touches, but he didn't fall out of the game and he got more touches as the game went on and he did really well to, to finish that chance. Um, so yeah, I've been I've been more impressed with him lately. You know, every every game there's moments you watch where his running is weird and you wonder if he really is good enough to play at this level. But then he, he does things like that header and he. Uh, does things like like what he did last week to to show he does belong on the field. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting to think that Juan Fernando Casado. I mean, I, I I'm convinced that he isn't a long term fix here in New England, and we'll get into no. transfer rumors down the line. But he is on loan. He he strikes me as a guy that's here one year that they're not going to exercise the transfer fee for, and I think because of that he might be relegated to a super sub spot start type guy, which is kind of crazy to think because if you look at the stats, uh, he's tied for the team lead in goals in MLS with four. He's tied with Carly Zeal. He has four goals in 662 minutes. Um, I mean, you look at some other comparable players. Uh, Christian Pena has three goals in 875 minutes. Teal Bunbury has three goals in 1,299 minutes. Uh, I mean, he is by clearly just just measuring goals. He is clearly the most efficient uh, uh, striker the Revs have on their roster and probably their best finisher. Uh, no offense to Brian Wright. Uh, so, you know, overall, I, I it, it's kind of a weird in-between where this guy is pretty good. He can finish some shots. Uh, he is deadly in the box. But also, I, I don't key know if he last brings night too. He had a key pass last night. There was another play, too, there in the 24th minute where uh, it was either uh, Castillo or Carlos Gill had a nice low pass to Caicedo, uh, uh, too, who was open in the box. Caicedo, too, had a, a couple quick touches and had a, a nice shot on goal. And I, I think it was either I think it was blocked by a defender. Uh, but the I was watching the, the Colorado feed because I was watching on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, they were pretty impressed with how <laughs> nice and, uh, uh, you know, concise the shot was how quickly it turned into a, a rocket on goal uh so you know Caicedo too has some skill i think it's just based on the situation i'd, I'd like to see you know bunbury and and Caicedo going forward I, I i think the pairing worked out pretty well yesterday but there are some guys like uh christian Pania and diego Facundo, so i don't think are going to be held out long term and i think he's going to be a guy that's going to be rotated in and out uh, and I, I i think that's a bit of a shame but uh, i think the situation is that they're not going to invest long term into Caicedo too going forward so um i'm curious to see how bruce arena manages it i will say it's great to have more options and not less uh, and i and i do think that we're going to go way over that uh, uh over under five goals that i predicted at the beginning of the season uh, i mean it, it it's possible that uh caicedo ends up with 10 goals this season as a part-time player i, I would not be shocked by that 
Yeah, I mean, again, like we talked about with Bunbury, when the confidence is there, he seems to be a guy that is very capable of finishing. And, um, you know, one of the knocks on him earlier in the season was that he was a little bit too hesitant to pull the trigger and take a shot. But um, certainly last night he wasn't. Um, and he looked very good. So, you know, again, he's a guy that when you have two strikers that are hot, you, you got to ride them until that, that cools off. But um, I think it is absolutely a good problem for the Revolution to have to have, to have two strikers who are, who, are, who are scoring regularly because that was certainly not the case just a few weeks ago. And let's move on to another guy that I think gets a lot of flack from uh, Revs Reddit and just Revs fans in general, Edgar Castillo, who has kind of been in and out of the lineup in recent months. Uh, Dewan Jones has kind of been threatening his spot at left back. Edgar Castillo added a nice assist yesterday on the Teal Bunbury goal in the eighth minute. Uh, he's now second on the team in assists with three this year. Uh, had a few decent moments, too, uh, defensively, I thought, towards the end of the game. He, he you know, he's not a stellar uh, defending player, but had some moments where, uh, you know, he he, uh, the Rapids had someone playing one-on-one against him, uh, and he, he made the tackler. He made he forced the player uh, uh, outside, uh, not where they wanted to go. So, Sean, uh, what was your thoughts on Edgar Castillo, and do you think he's the left back going forward under Bruce Arena? You know, I, I thought this might have been the the best performance from Castillo this season. Um, he was tied for the team lead in ta- team lead in tackles with four. He led the team and tied for the team lead in interceptions with three. Um, he had that that really nice assist. Um, in the game, he he almost scored a goal. The you know the highlight of, of Brandon Bay's night was a where he kind of broke down the right side on a I forget if it was a quick free kick or what it was, but um, he broke down the right side and sent across uh, sent across through the goal that found Edgar Castillo and Castillo had a shot that you know, maybe he should have done better on but was blocked. Um, almost scored there. Uh, you know, overall I thought defensively he had a decent night. He had 77 touches, second on the team. Um, Castillo has gotten a lot of crap from Revolution fans, and I think a lot of it's been deserved defensively. I think he's you know overall had kind of a nightmare of a season, um, but I don't think he gets enough credit for what he can provide in offense. And I think in, in this game you you saw a lot of it. Um, he was really heavily involved getting forward and was one of the most influential players on this match. Um, and I do think he's probably earned more minutes going forward for that. Um, you know, it, it probably helped that he was playing in Colorado where he you know played last year and was probably more used to the altitude than most of the Revolution players and you know knew the guys he was going up against. But it was a, a really solid performance from, from Edgar Castillo. We, we had some people ask us uh, last week when you we weren't here whether Edgar Castillo was done and we weren't going to see him again for the Revolution. Um, obviously, he played and went, went 90 minutes in this game, so he's not done. And I think this game probably earned him more minutes going forward. And I think it does kind of tell me that, you know, everyone was jumping on the Dewan Jones train at, at left back. But um, if, you know, Bruce Arena in back-to-back games is, is giving Edgar Castillo a chance at, at left back. And you know, even though he pulled him early from the last game, I think this this shows that uh, Bruce Arena probably does have more confidence in Edgar Castillo still than he does as, as Juwan Jones at, at left back. Um, but again, Castillo's 32 years old. Um, there's still a lot of revolution games to play. I think Dewan Jones is going to get plenty of minutes back there and they're going to you know, give Edgar Castillo chances to rest in games. Um, but, um, you know, I, I do think after this game, we are going to see continue to see a lot more of Edgar Castillo and he is going to probably continue to be the, the first choice left back. Um, and, you know, if he has more performances like he did last night, um, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, but I absolutely get the frustration of, of revolution fans. And, you know, we talked about it last week. I don't think he... You know, has had a particularly good season from a guy that was the you know the best player on the Colorado Rapids by a lot of pe- in a lot of people's minds last year. Um, overall, I think he has been a disappointment this year. But um, games like last night show what he is capable of when he is playing at his best. Um, and on both sides of the ball, I thought he had a good night. Yeah, and I think a lot of people you have to put Edgar Castillo into a lot of context. Where if you're playing him, 
you're making the decision to sacrifice something defensively for that little bit of offensive spark. I I think coming into the season, Edgar Castillo, I I don't think anyone thought Edgar Castillo was going to solidify the back line or anything like that. Um, you know, I, I don't think that at this point, you're, you're, you're going to have to accept the cons of playing Edgar Castillo, that he's going to have some defensive gaffes, that he's going to be leaving that side a little bit open to push up. Uh, and the flip side of that, the payoff, is you're going to get some pretty solid crosses into the box. Um, just kind of touching on last night, because um, you threw out some defensive stats, uh, four tackles, three interceptions, seven ball recoveries for Edgar Castillo, including one, uh, two in the offensive half, one in the offensive third. Um, so overall, pretty solid night defensively for Edgar Castillo. I would not expect that going forward. Um, but he adds so much offensively when he is in the game. If you remember er- earlier in the season, I think three or four games into the year, Revs fans were really impressed with Edgar Castillo because he was pushing up. He was uh, involved in that press. He was intercepting passes left and right uh, and, and really kind of um, uh, forging a quick counterattack in the attacking third. Um, I, I think people have kind of soured on him because he's been exposed defensively, but I think that's just something that Bruce Arena is accepting and is going to be taking moving forward. Um, I, I do want to point out uh, one little contrast. You, you mentioned that Edgar Castillo had another shot on goal. It was almost a goal. It would have been nice to have a goal and assist against the team that, that traded you away last year. Uh, but um, I want to point out uh, um, one more quick play. and It wasn't actually a Edgar Castillo play. It was a Brandon By play. Uh, Brandon By had a, a play where um, in the 27th minute, uh, he had some space. He had a long cross, and it basically just went over the net. Uh, it was wildly way off. Uh, and I think there's a stark contrast between Brandon By's crossing ability and Edgar Castillo's crossing ability, where Brandon By might get a nice low cross in that's really dangerous. But in the air, it's... He his crossing still needs a lot of work. Edgar Castillo can go over the top and create something with a long ball, as we saw in the Teal Bunbury goal. There was another goal, uh, another play in the 18th minute. Uh, he had a nice long ball over the top to Juan Agadello. Juan Agadello was off sides, but he was leading Juan Agadello down the field. It was a really nice play and it was a really nice connection. So that that's something that I think the Revs wanted out of Gabriel Somi, um, and they they certainly did not get it that that much uh, Edgar Castillo adds that little extra element to the uh, passing game and crossing that I think has been lacking for so long and really you know guys like Teal Bunbury and, and uh, uh, Juan Fernando Caicedo benefit when you have a left back that can cross I don't know if Dewan Jones can do that just yet and considering Dewan Jones is a rookie he was a forward last year you know, I, I'm not surprised that Bruce Arena, who seemingly is going for the playoffs this year, is starting the veteran, uh, is starting the guy that can add that uh, crossing ability uh, to uh, the Revs offense and is just accepting that there's going to be some games where he's a defensive liability. And and I, I wasn't on last week, but we saw in the Philadelphia game, they did not trust Edgar Castillo uh, one-on-one there. They, they had a, a second guy coming down to help him uh, every time he had an attacker facing him one-on-one. So I, I think that's just, this is a, who Edgar Castillo is. And I, I think he's going to be starting um, going forward. I don't even think it's going to be a rotation with DeJuan Jones. Yeah, look, and I, I agree with your statement earlier that I don't think you know people should have expected him to lock down the defensively the, the left back spot, but I, I do think um, that some of his performances under Brad Friedel, um, you know, left a lot to be desired, even for a guy that's no more for his offense than than defense. Um, but you know, with that said, I think Brad Friedel's system made a lot of people look bad. Um, Edgar Castillo was one of those people. Um, a, a lot of the guys in this Revolution roster fit into that category that just didn't look good under Brad Friedel's system because Brad Friedel's system was terrible. Um, you know, again, he 
didn't get that much better under some of the the Mike Lapper or, or Bruce Arena games early on. But you know, he's still a very high quality player. Um, he you know had a lot of appearances for the U.S. national team for a reason. He was Colorado's best player last year for a reason. And you know, at 32 years old, I don't think he's done yet. Um, maybe he's not the answer for the Revolution next season. But um, if the Revolution are pushing towards the playoffs, as it looks like Bruce Arena is trying to do, and as it looks like he should be doing, because right now they're you know they're they're tied with uh, Toronto for for seventh place, and only their terrible goal differential um, is keeping them out below the red line right now. Um, so you know they should be pushing for a playoff spot. Um, you know, I think it does probably make more sense to give Edgar Castillo more chances going forward than Dewan Jones, even though Dewan Jones, I think, does have a bright future at this club and, um, you know, could even offer, you know, some, something off the bench as a as a pacey winger late in games or as a substitute for, for Edgar Castillo um, late in games if he gets gassed. Uh, but, yeah, I think it is Edgar Castillo's position to lose going forward still, which, you know, even a week ago maybe didn't seem like it was going to be the case. Yep. And let's switch over to the right back spot because we have some uh, talking points we want to get in about Brandon Bay. Actually, a, a really statistically a quiet night for Brandon Bay yesterday. Um, no ball recoveries at all for Brandon Bay. Three tackles, two interceptions, three clearances. Um, he actually had, if you look at his passing stats, which do not include crosses, he was 14 for 15. Uh, but when you consider all of those were short passes and he was 10 for 10 on backwards passes, um, those stats are not nearly as impressive um but well we, and, and the, your the, your right back had 15 passes and your left back had 48 passes <laughs> uh, yeah that that's a pretty big distinction there and i don't know if it was a matchup or if they just trust edgar castillo to get involved in the offense more like we, we we've been talking about um it, pretty pretty unusual too because usually both outside backs are very involved in the game um but Regardless, I, I digress. Um, obviously, the highlight of that, that Brandon Bay was that play that you mentioned. Um, he, he had a very, very nice run down the right side, a low cross, seemingly kind of went through Caicedo and Juan Agadello, and Edgar Castillo had a nice shot uh, on target that was blocked. Um, but I think the big gap of the night was Brandon Bay, uh, the, the Rapids corner. Um, Brandon Bay's marker seemingly unchallenged on a header in the box. Uh, Sean, uh, does Brandon Bay deserve blame for that goal? Yeah, I mean, 100%. It was kind of bizarre because he he seemed to be in a decent position um he checked over saw the ball coming and then he stopped ever paying attention to the ball um he didn't you know Diego Rubio was his guy he didn't make any effort to challenge for it. he t- tried to kind of shove Rubio I think the, the best case scenario there was Rubio goes down and the Rapids get a penalty kick um so I'm not really sure what he was thinking there he didn't jump um and you know when you're a defensive player and when you're marking a guy like Rubio on a set piece you got a challenge for the ball uh so that was kind of shocking to me and I don't really understand what he was thinking there um but that that goal to me is 100 percent on him um that was his mark and he did a really poor job of trying to make any effort there and it's, it's just weird if you watch that play he's just staring at rubio um and you know he doesn't he checked over for the ball early and then i think i think he saw it coming and just didn't pay any attention to the ball as it came into rubio um and for a guy that had a really quiet night as you said um you know you got to be turned on in a play like that and 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 you know, make your mark. And, you know, I, I talked a lot about Brandon by last week and uh, wasn't too positive on him and kind of trashed him for his passing accuracy. You mentioned it was 93.3%, but it was, you know, 15 passes and a lot of them were short passes. Um, so, you know, that's great that he wasn't really turning the ball over as much with his passes, um, but you need a guy to be turned on in a play like that. And that, you know, could have changed the game. The Rapids had a lot of chances after that, and that really get, gave them a lot of momentum. Um, but you know, that was disappointing from Brandon Bay. And I think if you're looking at the roster right now and looking at the, the weaknesses that are actually playing out in the field, um, right back might be the, the number one weakness on this team um, since Bruce Arena's taken over. Yeah, and you have to wonder, too, 
if Michael Mancien, I don't know where he is right now. Apparently he's with the Revolutions rehabbing, uh, but we have not seen him since, I believe, the Philly game, uh, that 5-1 Philly game um, ages ago, it seems like, um, when he, he went out there on painkillers. My assumption is that he's just rehabbing. They're not rushing him back, uh, which is the correct move to do. Uh, but I would, if Mancien comes back, does Farrell moves back to right back? Am I wrong with this? I mean, that's a no-brainer, correct? I think so, yeah. I think he has to. Um, and the the other thing I wanted to mention here on that note, too, is early on in this game especially, I was I was watching, and, and Andrew Farrell kept pushing up and kind of getting involved in the attack and kind of doing what you'd want a right back to be doing in this game. And I kind of found that weird. Um, there was a lot of times where I was wondering where Brandon Bay was, and part of that was the camera angle. Um, but part of that was Andrew Farrell was kind of pushing up to, to start the attack and kind of bypassed Brandon Bay on a lot of plays. I don't know if you noticed that too, but that was something that, particularly in the first half, I kept noticing. Like Andrew Farrell was up here kind of on the on the right flank almost and uh, setting a play forward and, and just bypassing Brandon Bay. And you almost wondered if Brandon Bay was on the field. I don't know if that was just, just me that, that saw that or the camera angle, but it, it seemed like, like early Andrew Farrell was doing what you'd want Brandon Bay to do and, and just kind of ignoring him. And I don't know if that's because some of his teammates have lost a little bit of confidence in him, but that was just an observation that I had. Well, and it's interesting you mentioned that because, I mean, by comparison, Andrew Farrell, 39, for 46 on passing. Um, if you look at his passing chart, which I'm pulling up, I, I didn't notice that uh, off the bat, but just looking at his passing chart, he is kind of pushed down into that um, kind of zone where you'd expect a right back to kind of play. Um, so yeah, I mean, maybe he was kind of going in and out of those two areas, uh, kind of playing a little bit fluid. Um, as I say, it's not something I noticed. Um, but, um, certainly he seemed to be a little bit more involved in the attack. Uh, just looking at his passing stats uh, as I'm going here, uh, Andrew Farrell had 30 passes going forward. Um, 27 pass or 27 successful passes in the attacking third uh, middle third only three in the attacking third so I guess he wasn't going down the field too too much but you're right he seemed to be kind of heading over to that right back spot and, and maybe providing a little bit of aid for um, Brandon by on the offensive side of the ball um, yeah uh, I, I do want to mention one other Brandon by play uh, here in the 47th minute uh, Brandon by gets taken on one on one he gets beaten Andrew Farrell seems to kind of also kind of come over and help out a little bit defensively uh, and the Rapids player kind of crosses back to the center it would have actually been a really really decent chance the pass was a little bit in front of I want to say Kellen Acosta uh, who, who wasn't able to get a foot on it and then uh, De La Maya clears it out um, in, in lifetime it looks like De La Maya steps up and blocks the pass from going through. But if you watch a replay, uh, the pass was just a little bit in front of Kelton Acosta. He would have had a, a really nice chance on goal if uh, the pass, if, if he was a foot forward. Uh, so that, that's just another play where um, could have been disaster for the Revs, uh, but they got a little bit lucky. Uh, the timing was just a little bit off for Colorado, and, and they kind of avoided one. Um, so in conclusion, I, I think Brandon Bay is potentially playing his way out of a spot here. I think uh, once uh, Mancien comes back, even if he's on the bench, I think De La May and Annie Baba are your center backs. Um, maybe there's some sort of rotation. I think the reason they're holding Farrell at center back is they just don't have any any cover uh, in case of an injury or in case of uh, suspension or something like that. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure if Brandon by long term is a right back. I, I wonder if they're going to convert him to be kind of a midfielder attacker going forward. Yeah, and just adding to that, look, look at the, the passing combinations. Andrew Farrell, who was your right center back in this one, you would think would be passing to Brandon by a lot. He passed to Brandon by three times this entire game, which to me is kind of weird. Um, De La May on the flip side passed to Castillo 10 times, which actually still seems a little bit low to me. But to to have your right center back pass to your right back 
three times over an entire game. That strikes me as kind of bizarre. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking here to see. That's interesting. I obviously did not do any research into this beforehand, and I'm kind of uh, curious to see who Brandon By was passing to. Yeah, he just wasn't very involved. It doesn't, yeah, very strange. Um I don't have any more to add. You're bringing up good points I didn't think about. I, I'm very, I, I, I'm, you, <laughs> I, I, I'm, you, you're making an observation that I didn't make uh, last night, and it's kind of throwing me off here, Sean. I don't appreciate it. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I made that observation, and I didn't look up the stats to back it up until just now. But it's, it's, it's always fun when the observation you make with with your eyes is is matched by <laughs> the stats to back it up, because <laughs> it's not always the case. I, I also- I also want to remind our listeners that this is roughly uh, nine or ten hours after the game ended, and we slept for most of them. So we're not as prepared for uh, for this episode as we are for most. But um, let's switch over. I, I, one more thing, too, while we're talking about um, uh, uh, stats and, and leaderboards. I want to just mention, because we've kind of gone quiet the last few weeks, the last few months, really. Uh, but Carlos Gill added his fifth assist on the year. Uh, I, I don't really need to go into it, because I think everyone knows Carlos Gill is a great player. Uh, who is by far the best player on the Revolution team, I feel, uh, should be an all-star. Uh, but Nets' his fifth assist on the season. He now has four goals, five assists in about 1,700 minutes. Um, he has a pass success rate of 83%. Um, we just don't talk about him enough. Uh, I don't think we talk about him enough. Uh, he's he, he adds so much more. And I think under Bruce Arena, he's really, really going to thrive uh, uh, in this system. And, yeah, I just want to – you don't have to add anything to that, Sean. But Carl really good. And I think that's yeah. why we we don't talk about him a lot. Is he's been consistently really good all season long. So we've just come to come to accept it and come to expect it. Um, where everyone else in this roster has had you know at least some moments where they've been really bad this year. I don't think Carlos Hill has ever really had a bad game. He's had some games where maybe he hasn't done as much as as um, others. But you know, right now he's he's sixth in MLS and key passes per game. And I brought that up early on in the season and said that was something that you know you wanted to see. Carles Hill high up on the the key passes per game because that shows he's creating chances. Um, early on in the season, he wasn't uh, high up on that list, even though he was still playing well. He was scoring his own goals, um, but now he's been really creating chances for others. And to to see him up to sixth on that list when he, you know, I don't think he was in the the top twenty after the first few weeks um, is a, a really positive thing. And that's that's what you want out of Carles Hill. You want him to you know not only take his own shots when he can, but to be creating chances for others. And um, certainly he's been doing that really all season long at this point. Yeah, I mean. I, I just don't think we say it enough. We really take for granted Carlos Gill and the consistency he has and how great he is. Uh, and, and that's a reason we don't bring him up enough. Uh, if you want to go off of who score rating, um, ever since the Philadelphia 6-1 to game, he is at a who score rating of 6.7 or above. His last four games have been uh, 7.38 or above. Um, he has four assists in his last four MLS games. He hasn't scored since the San Jose game, but I, I think – since uh, Juan Aguidal has been moved to the center of the field, he's kind of played more of a uh, passer creator role than a goal scorer role, and uh, he's thriving at it. So just wanted to give a little love to Carlos Gill. We don't do it enough. Um, another person we don't give a lot of love to, uh, really, though, it's a little justified, is Wilfred Zahibo. And, Sean, since Bruce Arena has kind of come in to take over the reins, Wilfred Zahibo has been seeing more and more of uh, playing time in the starting lineup. And correct me if I'm wrong, uh, is Wilfred Zahibo good now? You know, he looks a lot better. Um, I'm not ready to call him good yet. <laughs> I, even going into this game, <laughs> I, I was a little bit wondering, um, you know, what Bruce Arena had been seeing in him. But I thought last night was perhaps 
or at least you know this season was perhaps his best performance of the year. Um, my one big knock on Zahibo, um, or well, one of many knocks on Zahibo, is that he's you know got a, a big body and he's very tall and doesn't do a good job using that defensively to win aerial duels. Um, you know whether it's on set pieces or in the run of play, and I'm I'm still not sure that. Um, I, I'm still not sure that's changed too much. He did win two aerial duels in this one, but I, I, I don't know. I, I thought this was a very good game for him, but I need to see it more consistently to, to go ahead and say he's good. Um, two key passes, 82.7% passing accuracy. You know, he, he won some nice tackles in this one. Um, four tackles overall tied for Castillo for the most tackles on the team. Um, you know, so this was a good game for him, but, um, I, I guess I, need to see with with how many bad performances he's had for the revolution i guess i need to see more than a couple decent games from from zahibo to to change my mind on on him overall and i i still have trouble seeing him coming back next season um unless we see a a run of a lot of games where he he looks like he did last night yeah very fair you're you're not ready to be totally trusting uh just yet uh i do want to say if you if you're a fan of who scored uh ratings which again not not a perfect metric uh, but if you look at his uh, recent matches, he is in the low sixes, high fives for most of these. Um, I'll, I'll just go through all of them because it's kind of fun to watch. 6.49, 6.43, 5.92, 5.97, 6.05, 6.01, although that was a substitution. Uh, 6.1, uh, 6.27, again, that was a late substitution. And then uh, June 27th, the 1 1 uh, Revs Union game, he had a 6.66. And then last night, 7.14. So his last two starts have been pretty solid overall. Uh, And as you say, Sean, four tackles last night. He was four for four. Uh, He had six ball recoveries in the midfield. He's kind of that enforcer that we we were hoping we would see uh, when he came into uh, the reps. And uh, as you said, uh, 82.7 pass completion. He was 43 for 52. So he was a pretty big part of this uh, 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 offense and controlling the ball last night. Really no complaints all the way around. I think that was Sibo's best performance uh, in a Revs uniform. It was really quiet overall. Uh, as you said, two key passes. That's not something we're used to seeing. Uh, so, yeah, really, really solid game from Wilfred Zahibo. And, I I mean, he's started two of the last three games. I, we might see him a little bit going forward. I, I'm not sure. But uh, a really positive uh, <laughs> turnaround for Wilfred Zahibo. Wilfred Zahibo and Edgar Steele arguably their best games of the season uh, last night. Um, really positive things going forward for him. Uh, another guy that we're actually seeing less of over time, and uh, Julian Cardillo tweeted out a stat that uh, Scott Caldwell had only seen one minute of MLS playing time since Bruce Arena came into play. Uh, last night, he uh, he greatly, uh, a huge, huge boost uh, by about 300% with three minutes of playing time for Scott Caldwell last night. Uh, Sean, what are your thoughts on Scott Caldwell, and do you think he's been relegated to bench duties for the uh, foreseeable future? Yeah, and I think it was you that tweeted out that uh, pointed point out the fact that Mike Burns signed into a contract extension shortly before uh, being kicked out the door. And um, it's interesting that it doesn't seem like Bruce Arena rates Scott Caldwell very highly based on what we saw, what we've seen so far. Um, you know, you've had a few games here where the Revolution have been hanging on late, and to me, Scott Caldwell is a kind of a calming presence on the field. He's a guy that you know a lot of people don't rate too highly and and revs twitter fandom it seems like um we've seen a lot of negative posts about him but um he's always been a guy that you can trust for the most part to keep possession to keep the ball moving to 
you know, not commit silly turnovers. I know, you know, a year or two ago, there were a couple of notable turnovers he committed. But overall, I think he's one of the, the safest guys in the field as far as keeping possession and, and, and calming down a game. And this was a game to me that was screaming out for Scott Caldwell. The Revolution were up, you know, Colorado started to turn things around. They scored that goal to, to make it two to one. Um, and it looked like a type of game where you bring Scott Caldwell to kind of calm down the team and, and add him to the midfield and help the revolution maintain possession and hold on to that lead. And, you know, we didn't see him until three minutes into stoppage time. Um, so that tells me that Bruce Arena doesn't really rate him highly because there's been a few games now where there's been situations under Bruce Arena where, it, to me, it seems like Scott Kolb was the type of guy you want to kind of bring on. And I know a few years ago when there was Kobayashi on this team, you know, I kind of referred to him as kind of the revolution's closer. Um, he'd come in late in the game when the revolution were up and, and, and kind of calm things down and help the revolution maintain possession and did a good job of that. I think Scott Caldwell can be that guy. Um, but, you know, based on him coming in in the, the 93rd minute of a game like this, I'm not sure Bruce Arena does think that. And, you know, you look at a game like this against Colorado where there were all those weather delays, obviously playing at altitude, guys get tired early. And I do think it's fair to say that the revolution, when all that pressure was happening from Colorado, were getting tired in this game. And there were guys out there that, that could have used the sub. Um, so to wait and to use your last sub to the 93rd minute, um, it's kind of surprising to me. And, and to me, tells me that uh, Bruce Arena does not think particularly highly of, of what Scott Caldwell brings to the field. Um because there's there's been a few games now where it just would make sense to me to bring him on as a substitute maybe in like the 75th, 80th minute to try to help the Revolution close out of the game, and they just haven't done it. Yeah, well said. I, I'm not going to add too much to it. I, I, I totally agree, and yeah, I think it's telling who he's playing and who he's not, which you know uh, uh, is kind of tipping the hand of who has impressed Bruce Arena in training. And I think you said earlier, too, that you know Brad Friedel's system kind of made everyone look bad. I, I think Bruce Arena is going into this with an open mind. He's got a fresh perspective. And I think maybe someone like Wilfred Zahibo taking minutes away in the midfield, that doesn't benefit someone like Scott Caldwell. Uh, you know, Juan Agudelo moving to the center of the field. Um, that's one more spot in the center of the field that uh, is, you know has, has another person uh, uh, in competition for a spot in the middle of the field there. Uh, so that, that also does not benefit Scott Caldwell. So um, Scott Caldwell is consistently on the bench. That's, that's a positive. And he is coming off in late minutes uh, to, to kind of see out some wins. Um, but you're right. I, I don't know um, if Scott Caldwell has a huge, huge role uh, under Bruce Arena. Uh, and I, I'm curious to see what they do with them because they did just sign that uh, th- three-year contract extension, I believe, um, uh, for Scott Caldwell. Uh, that was one of Mike Burns' last moves, uh, which at the time I thought was a really great deal uh, going forward. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious to see how this plays out or if we see Scott Caldwell get a chance to uh, kind of redeem himself. Because one thing we have seen from Bruce Arena is that he does believe in rotating players in and out. And central midfield is a spot that uh, I think the Revs I don't know, might rotate uh, when they have – Two two games a week or something like that. Uh, Sean, you ready? For- I got a quick question for you. Based on sure. based on what we saw for you know, a year and a half of well, a year and a, a quarter or whatever it was from from Brad Friedel, did you ever think you could see a Revolution team go into a road game like this and for seventy minutes not just be the better team but really dominate the game because it you know both in possession and passing and, and, and everything because. I certainly did not think that this team and this roster was capable of a performance like this based on, you know, a year and a quarter of what we saw under Brad Friedel. No, no, no. And this game, I actually am not totally stunned at. I, I, I mean, 
I am when you when you put it that way. Where you know, I think some we had a, a conversation with someone on Twitter, and, and someone asked how many road games would they win, or they or they're not gonna. We, we were projecting how many games they'd actually win, and and the the consensus was they wouldn't win on the road. Um, you know, to win a Western Conference road game midweek um, against a team that I don't think is amazingly talented in the Colorado Rapids, but they're hot. Um, you know, they, they certainly have shown a lot. You know. Uh, uh, some flashes in their uh, recent win streak uh, under Connor Casey, and they seem to be just as rejuvenated as the Revs do. Uh, so the fact that the Revs went out and I thought they dominated this game before the first delay. I think the the five minutes between the first and second delay, the, the field was so soggy and the conditions were so poor, you can't really have any takeaways from. And then the Revs came out. The Rapids had a little bit of uh, energy under their legs um, until the second goal, then they seemed to be dead. Uh, and then they really weren't in it until they got that corner kick in and uh, from that Kamara header and then the goal scored. So there were there were large sections of this game where the Rapids didn't seem to be in this game at all. And the Revs seemed to be totally in control. And under Brad Friedel, I, there was no... I mean, you didn't expect the Revs to dominate that type of game at home. So, um, yeah, I... I, I I should be more surprised than I am. I think after the Galaxy win, I think that was the whoa moment where uh, I, I, you could kind of tell this was the revolution team that we thought could live up to the potential that we, you know, Sean, we talked about this team being a playoff team in the preseason. Uh, I think Revs fans were very optimistic going uh, at this team going into the season. Um, it, I, I think they're finally living up to this potential that we all have seen. We, we know that they have this skill. Um, and I think it just needed uh, some really strong leadership at the top and no disrespect to Brad Friedel, but I think Bruce Arena, uh, commands a room and commands respect. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I think he's got the ship going in the right direction. Everyone is playing to their potential right now. So yeah, I, I did not see this uh, firm of a whim. If you had told me three months ago, they'd have really strong wins at LA and Colorado. I wouldn't have believed you. So yeah. Yeah. And, and I completely agree with all that. The only thing I'll say is that LA galaxy one was a great one by the revolution, but it was more of the way you'd expect this team to win on the road, which is playing good counterattacking soccer, where, you know, just what shocked me in this Colorado game was the Revolution went in and were the aggressors. And it's easier to do that against Colorado, obviously, than the Galaxy. But Colorado's never an easy place to play. So that's what kind of shocked me is we, you know, we've seen the Revolution do a little bit better in possession at home under Bruce Arena in some cases, but um, they just played a completely different style than we've seen this roster ever play. Um, you know, since since Brad Friedel took over, Bruce Arena just has, has found a way, like you said, to get the most out of all these guys and to get them playing, you know, different styles and, and kind of playing whatever style they need to do to, to get a result against their opponent. Now, let me ask you a question. Uh, are you more confident this team now or uh, at the beginning of 2018 when they started off hot and they were uh, I forget where they were in the standings, but they were they were up in the standings like second or third. Uh, they kind of started out at the beginning of the second, the first half of 2018. They started out really hot. Were you more confident then or are you more confident now? I think I'm, I'm much more confident now because you just look at the way that that team was playing. Um, they started off very hot, but they were just playing a pressing style. Um, and, you know, I've, I've always felt that when a team's playing a pressing style like that, um, they're going to get better results at the beginning of the season when other teams are still finding their form and, and trying to figure out ways to break it down. And your passing might not be as crisp and you just came out of preseason. That's when a pressing style can really work. Um, but, you know, it was it was pretty clear early on that, 
Brad Friel didn't really have a plan B when the high press didn't work. Um, and I think it's it's pretty clear now that Bruce Arena is capable of getting this team playing in multiple styles um, to find ways to win. So I, I'm a lot more confident now in what this team can do than back then. And, you know, like you said, there were some te- people that were positive going into the season. I think we thought the Revolution might be, you know, a seventh seed playoff team. I think the Revolution are playing a lot better than a seventh seed playoff team right now. Um, the unfortunate thing is they dug themselves in such a deep deep hole early on that I think realistically a seventh seed playoff team now is probably the the best they can hope for um, particularly when you look at those teams that are you know in, in spots you know three through six and in, in the uh, Eastern Conference and how good the rosters are there and how good those teams are and and where you expect them to become the end of the season um, I think that you know probably seventh is still the best the revolution can hope for but that was because of such a poor start rather than what we're seeing from the team right now. Yeah, a really solid win where they're the best team uh, and they had Christian Panea on and Diego Fagundes on the bench. So really, really a promising showing from the Revs. Um, let's ho- head over some listener questions. Uh, Zachary Grimes asks us, uh, who has improved the most under Bruce Arena so far? Uh, Sean, I'll let you tackle this one first. You know, there's a number of ways I could go with that one. I think the maybe the obvious one is is Teal Bunbury because of the goals he's been scoring and how well he's been playing since Bruce Arena took over. Um, I think you could make a case for for Matt Turner with some of his recent performances. Um, you know, we talked about Zahibo earlier. He's you know been playing really well. Um, you know, it's, it's more of a question of who hasn't. Um, improved much, and I think Brandon By is one of those guys. But if I had to to pick, I'd, I'd probably say Teal Bunbury. He's just kind of playing at another level right now. Um, his confidence is there. He's you know doing good things all over the field, and he's finishing off some spectacular goals. His first touch has been better. Um, so if I had to pick somebody, I think it you know, that might be the obvious choice based on the stats. But um, I'd, I'd go with Teal Bunbury. But it really is you know more of a question of who hasn't improved than than who has. Um, there's really a lot of guys I think you could make a good case for here. Yeah, uh, I actually am going to kind of tweak the question, too, because I think if it's most uh, who's improved the most in the post Friedel era, I think Juan Agadello uh, earns a big shout out uh, being moved to the center. I think Lapper kind of pushed him to the center of the field. Um, you know, Juan Agadello has kind of found his role and has kind of found his uh, stride playing in central midfield. Uh, he's very dangerous, passing the ball, moving the ball around, possessing the ball. Uh, he's contributing a little bit defensively. Uh, and he's also contributing to the offense and, and he's bagged a few goals uh, in, in that time. So I, I think he, He's improved under Bruce Arena, but I, I think uh, Mike Lapper moving him to the center of the field and Bruce Arena carrying that over, uh, I, I think that's, I think that deserves a nomination. Uh, and I will say, I kind of tipped my hand to this earlier. I think if he performs like he did last night, I think the question of this a month from now, if he's a, a regular starter and he plays the way he did last night, I think Wilfred Zahibo is the answer to this question. Uh, again, you're right, Sean. It's been one or two games. He's had two starts, so I don't want to, you know, pull out the jump to conclusions, Matt, right now, uh, but. Wilfred Zahibo, really, really solid two games under Bruce Arena so far. That is something, if we're talking about most improved, uh, someone who has gone from not that great to a solid contributor, that's Wilfred Zahibo. So I, I think those are my two answers to that question. Um, Cameron Young asks us, after both scoring tonight, who would be benched between JFC and Teal if slash when the uh, revolution get uh, Gustavo Bo? Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about Bo in a moment. Uh, but Sean, uh, let's kind of reword the question. If the revolution bring in a striker which, which or a forward, which it looks like they will, uh, between JFC and Teal, who's going to see uh, less playing time? That's a, a difficult one for me. Um, you know, if if the revolution continue to play with two strikers, or with the revolution decide to play with two strikers under, under Bruce Arena, um, you know, I, I, without getting too much into Gustavo Bo, I think... 
you know, Juan Caicedo is a guy that provides more in the air and is a guy that can can win crosses and, and is a good at, good at heading the ball. And I think that might complement um, what I've seen from Bo better than what Teal Bunbury provides. So on that alone, I'd almost lean that way. But, you know, perhaps there's a way where, you know, Bunbury continues to or you know, plays more on the wing um, and you fit all those guys in. I think if that's the case, you probably end up having to, to bench a guy like Aguadello, unfortunately, um, to kind of make room in the lineup. But if, if you're asking me right now, I think it's a, a very tough question. But my hunch from, you know, what I've seen of, of their playing styles between you know, Taisato, Bo, and, and Bunbury is that, uh, Bowen Caicedo's styles would be perhaps more complimentary if you're playing two strikers um, than Bunbury and Bow. Uh, that that's an interesting twist too, because I, I think I kind of said earlier that I, you know, JFC is you know here on loan. And I don't I don't know how much they're going to fully commit to him. Uh, I imagine that they'll rotate him in and out uh, if he comes into the squad. They'll rotate in and out and try a diff- few different things and, and see what works. Uh, but I, I was going to lean Caicedo too as the guy that's going to be uh, uh, pushed out just because they have less skin in the game. And I, I think that uh, Bruce Arena is a big Teal Bunbury fan and he wants him on the field. So my assumption was that uh, uh, Caicedo too, but interesting disagreement we got there, Sean. I, I'd be curious to see how uh, Caicedo too and Bo uh, end up playing together. Uh, obviously, <laughs> this is we, we've known about Bo for three days, so I'm not going to be an expert and, and argue this one uh, tooth and nail, but interesting point. Uh, David Civilian uh, – uh, uh, responded to this question on Twitter. He said JFC would be benched, uh, but they both have their merit. Maybe Teal moves to the wings instead and keep JFC up top. So um, really answers all across the board. Not really sure. That's a really good question. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll see going forward. Uh, if if Bo comes in, of course, uh, unconfirmed that he is coming, but we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, and finally, Sean, we got one more question from Revolution Central. Uh, does anyone, anybody know what's going on here? You know, I, uh... John Siegel had a great post this morning about all the crazy things that have happened to the revolution and, and highlighted it with that uh, that quote about how well the revolution are playing, about the fact that it seems like they're going to get a USL team. Um, you know, it, I don't know what's going on here. How did all this stuff change overnight? I think the the revolution went um, from, you know, we talk about the, the Sports Illustrated Ambition Rankings where they were consistently at or, you know, near the bottom. Um, and all of a sudden, overnight, Bruce Arena comes in and, and they're you know, talking about spending big transfer fees on Gustavo Bo. Um, they're talking about, uh, you know, adding a USL team. All of these positive things are happening. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Bruce Arena's going on. That's what's going on. Um, yeah, crazy, crazy stuff. I mean, who would have, we talk about, you know, uh, would we have seen this Colorado ro- a road win where the revolution dominate? I mean, imagine all this, all that's happened in the past month or two. Imagine if you told us in the preseason there was talk of a USL team and Bruce Arena and yeah, an absolutely uh, wild a couple of months here for uh, the revolution. Um, so that does it for questions. Let's move on to the news from the week, uh, headlined by the transfer rumors. Uh, the window opens on the 7th, so it's going to be, uh, what is that, Monday or Sunday, I think, uh, Sunday for the revolution. So uh, headlined by Gustavo Bo. Um, Christian Dyer of ESPN reported that the striker, uh, the revolution made a transfer fee of around 4.5 million. It's about half of what has been reported in Mexico, which was around 9 million, um, salary around 2 million. So he'd be comparable to Carlos Gill in terms of salary. Um, there've been other reports saying that a full package offer has been, uh, made for about 10 million. Uh, and there's also been a rumor that the revs will sign him to a four year deal, which is a little interesting for a 29 year old player. Uh, so kind of the money, the dollar amounts are all across the board right now. Uh, I think Christian Dyer of ESPN is probably the most reputable reporter 
so we we'll, we'll kind of operate under the assumption of transfer fee of about four four and a half million salary around two million, and we'll probably guess it's around a three or four year deal, maybe three years, which with an option. Why not? Uh, Sean, uh, what are your thoughts on Gustavo Bo? Uh, first, do you think he's a player that's going to come in mesh well with the Revs? Do you think he's going to be an upgrade? And also, do you think the price is right? Do you think this is a great move for the Revolution? Yeah, I mean, when when he first saw you know nine or ten million dollar price tag thrown out there, it seemed kind of high to me for a guy that um, you know is twenty nine years old and is having a successful season. But you know he's he's had he's been playing a long time, and you know the most he's ever goals he's ever really seemingly gotten a season. I'm relying on transfer market here. Apparently, is ten, um, which you know isn't terrible. He was playing at a high level. I think the you know, certainly the the Argentinian Primera Division um, and Liga MX I think are, are better leagues than MLS and until MLS proves otherwise. Um, and he's been you know doing really well there. He's got a lot of assists as well. Um, so he's he's clearly a good player. Uh, but that that original figure seemed high to me. I think when you're talking more about you know four and a half million, that seems more fair. Um, you know, you mentioned the the four year deal. I, I'm struggling to think of you know, really any. I'm sure it's happened, but I'm struggling to think of a player that's come to MLS with four years guaranteed. So I can't imagine that's actually accurate. Um, usually, guys get you know two or three years at most guaranteed, and then maybe an option year. So I assume that would be the case, and that makes a lot more sense for a 29 year old. But um, I'm not going to lie and say I've watched a lot of you know, 90 minute performances from Gustavo Bo. I'm relying mostly on highlights. Um, but even just watching like one season worth of highlights from Gustavo Bo, this guy's got a fantastic first touch. He's really good at tight spaces, at you know turning quickly and, and getting quick strikes off. Um, you know, I think he'd be a fantastic fit for the Revolution. Um, you know, his ability to, to hold up the ball and and you know, turn really quickly, get really good strikes, have fantastic shots in the upper ninety. Um, you know, one on one with the goalkeeper, this guy you can just seem to rely on to to finish chances when he gets them, um, and seems to be you know perhaps you know we're we're, we're watching these highlights, we're not seeing his misses, um, but it, it seems like a guy that the Revolution can rely on to to finish off chances that they create, and that's something that up until recently they were struggling with from guys like Teal Bunbury and even and Juan Caicedo. Um, so I think he could be a really good addition to this team. Um, he seems to be pacey. He seems to kind of have some of the the best qualities of, of both Caicedo and Bunbury when they're when they're playing well. Um, the one thing that I did notice is, and you know, pretty much none of these highlight reels do we ever see him scoring on a header. Um, or you know, I don't know if that's because of the the team style that he's playing on, whether there you know just aren't a lot of crosses in the air. Um, but that is the the one thing I noticed from him is you don't see a lot of headed goals and you don't see him getting on the end of a, a lot of high crosses in the air. Um, and you know, when you're talking about a guy like Castillo, that's where he thrives, and that's kind of why earlier when I you know, kind of previewing this when I talk about Juan Caicedo, um, why I think he might be the better partner for him because he is one of those guys that does well at getting on and then headers and, and finishing at home, but. Um, if there's one knock on Bo from from what I've watched is you you really don't see him scoring goals like that, um, which you know it doesn't necessarily mean he wouldn't be a good fit for for this team because this team is also very good at you know with Carlos Heel and, and guys like that of, of creating uh, chances through the middle and, and on the ground. Um, but uh, that that is the the one observation I've made that I found kind of interesting is just you know as far as his headers headers go, um, you don't see a lot of him you don't see a lot of goals that he scored that way. Yeah, and. I agree with kind of your assessment so far. I, I, we probably watched the exact same highlight reels of Gustavo Bo. Uh, we've known about this potential transfer for three or four days. This is kind of moving fast. So um, I, I'm not going to sit here and claim I have this amazing, you know, I've scouted Gustavo Bo as this amazing, you know. Uh, but I, I will say from what I've seen, I, I agree with your assessment there. He, he, what I was impressed with was his speed. There are a lot of plays where, you know, there's a long ball over the top and Bo 
seemingly in stride is able to get to a long pass, latch down, control it, and fire on net. Um, I, I've really been impressed with that kind of speed component. Um, but he is also seemingly as good of a finisher as Juan Fernando Caicedo. Uh, so he's really an all-around forward that I think the revolution lack. I think you get the finishing ability of Juan Fernando Caicedo, and then you get the kind of all-around kind of speed vision component uh, of, of Teal Bunbury, whereas Bo kind of seems to be a little bit of a combination of both. So if the revolution go to a one striker system, I, I think Bo would fit in very well with that. Uh, I'm not sure what they are planning on doing with uh, Gustavo Bo. Um, but uh, switching over to our advanced scouting uh, system, uh, aka FIFA ratings, uh, I just want to point out that his pace is 78, so he's much faster than Scott Caldwell. Uh, and by comparison, I think Gabriel Somi, who was the fastest player on the team, was an 86. So he's pretty quick. He's, he's a pretty fast guy, according to this. Um, and if you just look at across the board, pace, 78, shooting, 76, dribbling, 77. Um, his overall passing is a 69, so he's a nice passer. Uh, and then overall rating, uh, he's got a 77 rating. So uh, he'd be one of the, the best players on the team if FIFA ratings mean anything to you uh, and based on the price which is as again we're we're guesstimating it's that 4.5 million is um uh, is going to be the transfer fee if you look at transfer market uh his value is 3.5 million euros so 4.5 million is actually about a, a fair fee for uh for a guy like this and the salary around 2 million i, I think he'd make a carly skill uh type impact so uh, this seems to fit the bill uh, all the way around the four years as you said Sean I'm not so sure if it's a four year guaranteed contract especially for a DP that's a that's a big commitment to a designated player um, who's who's 29 uh, I, this might be a two year deal with two options or a three year deal with one option but I don't, I don't know if it's a guaranteed four year deal so um, overall uh, just on the surface of this uh, this move checks out and this also signals to me that Bruce Arena looks at this team and says, we're going for it. We're not rebuilding for 2020 or 2021, which is what I would have done. Uh, I, I, he's not building off of the youth. We've seen Taeyeon Buchanan drop out of the 18. He looks at this team and says, this is a playoff team and we're going for it. And I think Gustavo Bo is going to be a – he's going to move this team into the playoffs if he comes in. Yeah, and I, one other thing I just wanted to, to point out is – you know, when you look at players coming into to MLS, one place where they've had a lot of success is, is Argentina. Um, so, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that Bo's going to have success, but I think it is a good sign that, you know, Argentinians have had a lot of success in MLS. Um, I know you and I both look at a baseball reference for, for baseball stats a lot. Um, if, I'm not sure if you're aware, but they added a football reference now where they have soccer stats. Um, and one of the things they track is minutes by nationality. Um, and second place in MLS after the U.S. is Argentina, um, well above any other country, uh, with 30,381 minutes this year from just 29 players. Um, guys like Maximilio Morales, Luciano Caso, Diego Valeri, Maximilio uh, Rudy, Nicolas Gaetan, Sebastian Blanco. There's been a, a lot of successful players that have been some of the better players on their team from, from Argentina. Um, so clearly guys haven't had, um, and a lot of those guys came from the Argentinian League, so clearly those guys haven't had too much difficulty transitioning from from that league to MLS. And um, that doesn't mean Bo will, but I think that is a, a better sign than uh, some of the other you know, nationalities and leagues that players have come from where they haven't had as much success. Um, so just thought that was worth throwing out there that Argentina has been a great uh, proven ground for, for MLS players over the years. Yeah, I have more confidence in uh, in Gustavo Bo than a, a guy that was coming from the uh, from the Bolivia C team uh, who was coming under shady circumstances and couldn't couldn't get a spot on the uh, NASL Tampa Bay Rowdies. Yeah, I'm a little a little bit more confident in Gustavo Bo, but uh, but yes, 
it should be noted too that Gustavo Bo's agent is also uh, has has Brian Fernandez, who was just transferred to the Timber Timbers uh, as a client. So there is another uh, agent MLS connection uh, that, is, that is working behind the signs. So a lot of a lot of signs point to this is going to happen. I think some people have said it's going to happen as early as this weekend when the transfer window opens. I'm not so sure about that, but um, there is a DP spot open. Uh, the refs have, I think, two international spots open now that they've bought out Gabriel Somi. So, um, yeah, really, really positive things happening. Another name, which would, in theory, take that other international spot, uh, Thomas Vermaelen, a former Arsenal uh, center back, I believe last played at uh, Barcelona. Am I right with that, Sean? you got you got to yes. fact check me on this. Played sparingly, Again, we are but not yes. prepared for this at all. We are not prepared for this podcast at all. <laughs> You guys got to give us a little slack here. Um, I, I forgot where he played last because I got to be honest with you. He doesn't play much anymore these days, does he, Sean? Um, Sean, w- what are your thoughts about Thomas Vermaelen uh, potentially taking a center back spot? Yeah, I mean, he he transferred to Barcelona in 2014 and has played 34 games since then. Um, so Thomas Vermaelen, there's absolutely no doubt he's a fantastic quality player. Um, you know, regular on the Belgian national team, which is, you know, as people that follow international soccer know, is one of the better national teams um, in the world. And also one of the best defensive depth national teams in the world with guys like Vertonghen, uh, Alderweireld, Vincent Company, certainly. Um, so he's got a lot of competition for that center back. And of course, uh, Laurent Simon, who was playing in MLS and has been very successful here. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of the Gustavo Bo idea as a transfer target. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um Romalian, you know, if you talk about the revolution going for it now, this is certainly a going for it now move. Um, he's 33 years old. He turns 34 in November. Um, he's, I think there's been one season since 2013 where he's played as much as a thousand minutes. Um, he's a guy that has not been playing much over the years. And, you know, some of that, is, certainly a lot of that is Barcelona is, you know, one of, if not the best teams in the world. So he's competing against um, some fantastic players for, for minutes at the center back spot, certainly. Um, but the other thing there is he's had a lot of injuries. I think last year he missed 20 he was unavailable for 26 games due to injuries. I think the year before it was in the in the high teens that he was unavailable due to injuries. Um you know, when you're trading for a guy at that age, you want to know he's durable. Um you want to know he's still capable of of playing a lot of minutes. I think if the Revolution sign a guy like Vermillion, they're going to expect you know close to 3000 minutes from him. You know, he hasn't done anything like that since he's left Arsenal. Um so that to me is is troubling. Um, his injury history, you know, talk about La Liga. It's a, a fantastic league where he's playing against some of the best strikers in the world. Um, but I would say it's a less physical league than MLS. Um, so, you know, again, that goes to his durability when he comes here and, you know, has been playing very sparringly at Barcelona, did have a brief loan stint at um, Roma, um, which he played nine games because he also got injured there and missed a lot of games due to injuries. Um, I don't like this move. I think he's a guy that if you could somehow get for TAM money, which I think is crazy, it would never happen. Um, you know, I could get on board. But if you're you know, spending a DP spot and you're committing to him next year as well, um, I, I really don't like the move. I don't think there's any guarantee that this guy can stay healthy and, and be an everyday starter. Um, I don't think there's any guarantee that at 34 years old, given how few minutes he's been playing, he's still going to be the same player he was for Arsenal. Again, um, you know, as a Spurs fan, I think I was very happy to see Barcelona buy him up away from Arsenal and take him out of their defense. He's a was a phenomenal player. Um, just at this stage in his career, it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, you know, we talked about the Revolution's hope this year. Um, you know, I do think making the playoffs is certainly realistic at this point. But you know, even if you know best case scenario, in, in my mind, they somehow sneak into the, the sixth or, or fifth seed, it, it, it likely means they have to play under the new playoff format where it's all single elimination, reseeded to the highest seed, playing at home. Um, it would likely mean the Revolution had to play you know four straight single elimination road games to win MLS Cup, and I don't think that's realistic for any MLS team to do. You know, maybe if you had a roster that. 
caliber of Atlanta. Um, you can see that level of upsets going on. But even with Bruce Arena and even with how they've been playing lately, I, I just can't see MLS Cup being realistic this year. And with that in mind, uh, you know, Vermillion doesn't make sense to me. And, you know, also looking at how MLS teams construct their roster, there, there's no team in MLS that's, you know, proven a successful formula by spending DTP money on a defender. Um, it just it just doesn't that's not the formula of success in MLS. Uh, you know, we're used to the revolution spending way too much on defenders that have been terrible. Um, guys like Mancien, guys like Dielna. Um, and you know, my thought was under Bruce Arena we would see that stop and we'd see him, you know, focus on kind of lower priced uh, defenders that can get the job done but aren't gonna, you know, break the bank and, and be DP level guys. Um, and it just you know the way the league's constructed, the way rosters are constructed. Um, I I can't get on board this Vermillion signing as a good move for the Revolution um, at this stage. If they were one player away from an MLS Cup challenge this year, um, I could see it. But you know, and no no fault to Bruce Arena, but where Brad Friedel left them in the standings, I just don't think it's it's realistic this year. Yeah, and you kind of hit upon a point that I want to talk about, which is. Um, it should be noted that uh, Julian Cardillo confirmed the interest in, in uh, Thomas Vermaelen uh, from from the Revs. But there have been some other reports, too, that I think China uh, – there's a team in China that's interested. There's a team in, I think, Saudi Arabia that's interested. And those are two leagues that go out and they buy the big names and they spend a lot of money on them. Um, and so that, to me, signals that Vermaelen might have to come in on a designated player contract. And I don't – I'm not a huge fan of that idea. Um, I mean, he's certainly a big name, but he's an injury-prone aging center back. You're going to have to put him on turf. Um, I, I'm, I'm not in love with the idea, kind of for the reasons that you said. And I don't know how long of a contract you're going to commit to him. I mean, if you sign Thomas from Maryland to a, let's say, a two-year contract, or I guess it would be one and a half years. It would be a Jermaine Jones-like contract where you're signing him for the remainder of the 2019 season and the 2020 season, and you're doing it with a, a a designated player contract. You're, you're telling me the Revs can't acquire another designated player after that. So it'd be uh, Carly Skeel. You're going to have uh, Gustavo Bo, and then Vermarlin is going to take your third designated player spot. Uh, it seems to me that if Vermarlin comes in and kind of struggles or gives you performances that Michael Mancien was giving you before he got injured, um, you you really kind of hamstring yourself and you can't make that extra acquisition in the off season. Uh, so this is one that if you could bring in Vermarlin on a TAM contract and maybe they can, cause he'd be a free, con- uh, it'd be a free transfer. Um, there's no transfer fee associated cause he's out of contract right now. Maybe he can come in. Maybe they're, the, the revs are stocked with uh, um, allocation money and, and they could bring in Vermarlin for, you know, the rest of the season, rest of a uh, six month contract. That that would make, make sense to me, but a long-term contract, a two or three designated player contract, seems to me that it's a bit aggressive, and they're really going for it. <clears throat> Sorry, they're really going for it in a short-term way, which I, I don't think you know. I'm happy that they're going for it. I'm happy that they think that this is a uh, playoff team going forward. But you know, they've kind of buried themselves in the standings a little bit, and and you know, they're going to have to face some really tough teams this year uh, in the Eastern Conference alone. And, and you know, if you, you get to the MLS Cup, you know, you're going to face off against what LAFC, you know, is Thomas Vermaelen going to be the difference between the Revs beating LAFC? Probably not. So um, there's a lot of risk and not a whole lot of reward for adding Thomas Vermaelen. I, I, I don't see this being worth um, signing him to a designated player contract. It, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me in that perspective. Yeah, if, if you sign him to a designated player contract, it's presumably going to be at least for you know a year and a half. 
Um, and I think you're potentially really screwing yourselves over by doing that. Um, you know, you mentioned Mancian. If, if you get in a situation like like him, um, you know, this is going to be even worse because he'd be a DP. Um, you know, and potentially you could miss a significant chunk of next season due to injuries because of his, you know, injury proneness, um, you know, his, his history there, um, his age. Um, you know, going to a league where there's so much traveling that can be difficult, especially at his age. Um, you know, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And when you talk about that third DP slot, I think the the places where it could have the biggest impact for the Revolution are number one, you know, central defensive midfield or central midfield, a, a guy that could be really influential there. I think that would do a lot more for this team at the DP level um, than a center back. You know, than a center back that you could get Tam. I think the difference there is 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 much bigger in, in midfield. Um, or even if you know, failing that, a a, a DP level winger, I think could have a huge impact on this team. It just doesn't make sense to me. And, I, you know, I, I feel like Bruce Arena is you know, smarter than that to go out there and spend that kind of money on a center back and to lock up that DP spot. You know, maybe there's some scenario where he comes in as a TAM player. I really have trouble seeing it. You mentioned the other names that have been thrown out there, you know, Qatar and, and Chinese-level money. Um, make it very hard to believe that he would come in as a TAM player. But, um, you know, I'm very on board the the bow idea. This one I, I'm struggling to, to get on board with. Yeah, and it to, it should be noted too that his it, based on our advanced scouting metrics, which is FIFA, uh, he also has a 77 rating. I mean, no one's doubting his skill, uh, but I don't see the reward in a contract like this. And, and when you add in the injury concerns, it doesn't it doesn't seem like someone that you want to. Um, I don't know, lock yourself into, you know, using that third designated player spot on. Um, and and I feel like, too, as you said, no one really spends DP money on center backs. I, I feel like Bruce Arena would be more open to trading for a center back or finding other ways to solidify that back line. Um, I, 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 I would be surprised if Vermarlin comes in on a designated player contract. Tam might be a little bit, maybe Vermarlin takes a six month contract or something like that, as I say, but I, I, I don't know. I'd be shocked about that. Um, one other name too, that came up on uh, Rev's Twitter, uh, Matt from Boston sports extra uh, tweeted out that he's hearing rumors that the Revs are interested in Fabian Johnson, the uh, former United States uh, men's national team left back. Um, not a whole lot has come of this rumor. Um, no one else has really confirmed this rumor to my knowledge. Um, so we're going to kind of tread lightly on this one. But I think it's worth noting uh, that Fabian Johnson and Bruce Arena have a little bit of a history where uh, in the winding uh, the, the final days of the Bruce Arena uh, United States tenure, uh, him and Fabian Johnson seem to be a little bit at odds with one another. And Fabian Johnson, uh, I think he, he was going to he announced his plans to retire after the 2018 World Cup. Uh, and Bruce Arena, I guess, didn't take too kindly to that. And I'm, I'm trying to remember this story off the top of my head. I, again, no research, no no, uh, no planning done for this podcast here. Uh, but Fabian Johnson has, and was essentially left off of the United States roster uh, for some key games uh, heading down the stretch in late 2017. Uh, and Bruce Arena and him clearly didn't seem to like each other. So interesting that his name has come up uh, a few years after all of that kind of went down. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on Fabian Johnson, if he's a fit uh, with uh, the revolution, Sean. Um, it, it certainly would be a big name and a big acquisition and wouldn't take an international roster spot. Um, to my understanding, he's uh, out of contract, so it'd be another free transfer, maybe another TAM signing, like we're saying. Uh, do you think uh, Fabian Johnson would fit into this Revs roster? Yeah, I mean, I think as far as the controversy with Bruce Arena, um, 
that's one thing to consider. But at the same time, I don't think it's, you know, we're talking about Bruce Arena controversies. There's Jeff Cameron level controversy where Jeff Cameron came out and basically crapped on, on Bruce Arena. And, and that's a guy that would, I think, never come to the revolution at this point. I wouldn't say never for Fabian Johnson, but it is certainly something to consider that, you know, in those must win games for the U.S. Um, for World Cup qualifying where Fabian Johnson was healthy, he was left off the roster. So I don't think they have the, the best of relationships, um, which makes it seem unlikely. But I wouldn't saying never in this case the you know the one thing i'll say for fabian johnson is he's you know the u.s has played him a lot at left back out of necessity but he's always been a better left winger than left back um i I don't think if you go out and sign fabian johnson he's going to replace edgar castillo and he's also only a year younger than edgar castillo um at left back and and you know be that great defensive guy Um, fabian johnson is a phenomenal winger um, but for all the people that are complaining about Edgar Castillo at left back and his defensive one-on-one abilities and, and all of that, Fabian Johnson has those same problems when he's playing left back. He's never been a good one-on-one defender. He's never been a, a great uh, left back. Um, he's a great left winger. Um, and I think if you sign him, you're signing him as a left winger. Um, and you know he's competing with guys like Christian Pania. Um, I don't think the signing makes a lot of sense, uh, especially if he's a DP guy. And I think he probably would be. Um, if he's a Tam guy, maybe. Um, but again, I think if you sign him, you're signing him to, to play left wing instead of Christian Pania. Um, I think that's the only way it makes sense. And I, you know, I, I'm not sure that's the best move for the revolution and I'm not sure that's the best allocation of resources. Um, so that move doesn't make a whole lot of sense for me, both for, you know, player wise and position wise, um, as well as, um, for the Bruce arena controversy. Uh, but you know, I, I think people are, that are looking at Fabian Johnson as a left back, um, would be just as disappointed with his performances at left back, um, defensively as they are with Eric Castillo. It should be noted too, that actually I'm, I'm fact checking myself on the fly. Cause again, no preparation for this podcast. His contract actually runs through 2020. So there in theory be a transfer fee. I, I don't know. Yeah. It, it seems to be, it would be a DP level, uh, type of, type of play at that time um should be noted too that fabian johnson also a fifa rating of 77 uh pace uh 82 sprint speed 86 so he'd be uh, burning down the left flank he also could beat scott caldwell in a foot race um yeah i i agree with kind of your assessment here if they're going to pay a transfer fee i'm not sure if you're going to move him to left back i, I don't know if that's really a great signing, it, it makes more sense to me if they made this move in the offseason after losing edgar castillo too uh, i i don't know you know, Fabian Johnson, he's kind of, a, he'd be an offensive left back. Um, as you said, he's more of a winger than a, a left back. So I'm not sure exactly where he would fit on this team if they move him up to winger and kind of push someone back down, or if they would kind of force him into that wing back spot that Edgar Castillo is currently playing. Um, this one, I think of the three names, I, I don't want to doubt it, but I think it makes more sense not right now. Maybe down the line, assuming Fabian Johnson and Bruce Arena have put their differences aside. Um, I'm, I'm not so sure it makes sense for the 2019 team. So uh, we'll see going forward. It makes but. more sense to me if somehow Christian Pania has gone in this offseason. I, I mean, I just don't see him as wanting to come to MLS to be a left back. Maybe maybe I'm wrong and, you know, he, he's like DeMarcus Beasley as he's getting older in career. He's, he's finally playing left back. But um, he's always seemed more comfortable as a left winger, and I think he's enjoyed playing as a left winger more. So it would be surprising to me to see him come to MLS and then, you know, want to play left back. And, you know, unlike Gustavo Bo, who I admittedly haven't seen a lot of, I've seen a lot of Fabian Johnson play, and he's he's not that good of a defender. He's just not. Um, the U.S. plays him at left back, again, out of necessity, and that's what they've, they've done with him. But he's a much better left winger than a left back. So if you're going to go out and sign him as a, as a DP to left back, um, that makes no sense to me. 
He's also 31 years old, too, so this would be another win-now move. Um, and it should also be noted that uh, FC Cincinnati had interest in Fabian Johnson last offseason. So there have been some ties to Fabian Johnson to MLS. So this might be a thing where Fabian Johnson is looking at signing with an MLS team in the revolution or kicking tires. Um, we'll, we'll see how this one develops. As I say, not much has uh, spurred since the initial report. So maybe this is something the revs kick tires on and, and really aren't uh, too invested in. But we'll see. Um, let's move on to our final thoughts. Sean, you have any uh, final thoughts uh, going into the weekend? I mean, I'm just extremely excited for a Sunday that features three cup finals, a Women's World Cup final with the U.S., uh, Copa America final with, uh, you know, upstart Peru against Brazil, um, and then the Gold Cup final with U.S.-Mexico, which is always exciting. Um, I'm glad we got this podcast out of the way now so we <laughs> so we can fully enjoy uh, Sunday night. Um, but a couple of quick shout-outs. Um, you know, Zach Hervey, we mentioned last week, a, a fantastic – our fantastic performance for Haiti. He kind of you know, dropped to the bench the last two games. Um, but it, it's just, it was fantastic to see Haiti do that. And I did not realize that their starting striker um, was also a Massachusetts guy who grew up in Melrose, went to Melrose High School, played for Northeastern. Uh, I'm going to botch this name, but at Francie Perot, the Haitian striker who scored two goals against Bermuda. So that was just an, an exciting story that I think went um, unheralded and dual national, I believe it's kind of a shame the, the U.S. couldn't have couldn't have gotten him based on their current striker pool. And, and <laughs> I, I would like to see him play over Jossie's artists in the U.S., but uh, congrats to him and um, exciting to see two Massachusetts guys um, starring for Haiti in their cup run to the semifinal, um, even though they were robbed a bit by Mexico in that uh, controversial penalty kick um, in overtime. But so much exciting soccer going on this month. Yeah, I just want to say good luck to the Women's World Cup team, the, the USA team, um, and the Gold Cup team. Uh, we are uh, not Grant Wall, so we'll be watching soccer all day. Uh, and I also want to say uh, good luck to Peru. Uh, Sean, as you know, a former roommate of mine and a good friend of mine still to this day uh, is from Peru. Uh, he went to the World Cup last year. Uh, Ten years ago when we were in college together, uh, he would complain to me all the time about how the uh, football federation in Peru was in shambles and they were terrible. And, um, yeah, Peru's kind of done a complete 180 under their new coach, went to the World Cup last year for the first time in decades. I know it was the first time uh, he had ever seen Peru in the World Cup, unfortunately knocked out in the group stages, but they still got a win, if I remember correctly. Um, now they are going up against Brazil in the Copa America finals, trying to win their first Copa America since, I believe, 1975? Something – it's been a long, long time for Peru. Um, they did lose to Brazil 5 nothing in the group stage. Uh, they looked really, really bad in the group stage. Uh, they've kind of come around. Uh, they've advanced to the finals. They uh, handedly beat Chile, who has won the last two Copa Americas. They beat them 3 to nothing. Uh, really, really solid performance from Peru. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, just want to uh, go USA and go Peru. Hopefully we get a uh, full sweep on Sunday. Uh, across the board um, and yeah it'll be a great day of soccer for anyone watching as long as again you're not Grant Wall or you're someone who <laughs> hates on the Gold Cup which I don't understand I don't understand how you can watch Haiti uh, go go toe to toe with Mexico and think the Gold Com Cup is a useless competition um, yeah just I don't know it's very frustrating to see people trash the Gold Cup yeah and speaking of Peru remember when they were, there was a time when they were looking at Andrew Farrell as the, one of the solutions to their back line how far they've come, how far they've come. That was the, the new coach that, I don't know his name, the new coach that came in was looking at any and all options, and that was how Andrew Farrell got on that radar. Uh, so Andrew Farrell missing out on the uh, the Peru train, uh, going straight to the top, apparently. So I'm sure he's uh, probably rooting from them from uh, from home with uh, having 
spent 10 years 10 years of his life in peru i'm sure he's he's rooting for them from afar yeah me me and andrew farrell are going to be rooting for a usa slash peru big time on sunday um anyway well let's wrap it up we're going way too long today uh you can follow us on twitter at revolution recap and also like our revolution recap facebook page that we often ignore and don't ask for questions even though we always say we do uh we will someday guys don't worry um also sean you notice we're getting a lot of likes on that revolution recap facebook page just saying, it's blowing up right now. It's a lot of uh, single women who have four to six friends and aren't located in New England. But boy, we are really popular. The, uh, the, the Russian bots love us. Yeah, it's just yeah, great. We're popular. Half our Facebook likes are Russian bots. Uh, but if you're not a Russian bot, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. Uh, it's always greatly appreciated. Sean, where can the good people find you on Twitter? Uh, as always, you can fi- find me at Sean L. Donahue. And we will be back next weekend. The Revs are traveling to Audi Field next Friday, a Friday night game. Uh, it'll be a difficult road game against Eastern Conference foes, D.C. United. Uh, we'll be back with a new episode either on Saturday, Sunday, or Monday. Sometime we'll, we'll find the time. We'll be a little bit more prepared than we are today uh, to break it all down. But Hey, Luciano until... Acosta suspended for that one, so that's good news for the Revs. Ooh. Yeah, De La Maya also suspended, though, on yellow card suspension, so it'll be Annie Baba time. Also, oh, wait, one more thing, too. Annie Baba blocked a shot yesterday. Didn't celebrate. Really upsetting. We, I need the Anibaba block celebration. but uh. I, I know I'm one of the few people that doesn't like the Anibaba block celebration, so I was uh, pleasantly surprised. Well, you hate fun. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I, I don't mind uh, it when it's you know out for a corner kick, but the Anibaba block shot celebration when the play is still going on, that one has always bugged me a bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, Dad. Um, <laughs> we'll be back next weekend to break, break down the D.C. United game, but until then, thank you, everyone, for listening, and go Rebs. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.